Welcome to Guys Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher, and today uh, we got on Warren McGrew. And uh, we are going to talk about Calvinism. Warren, um, you watched this uh, open panel discussion, Calvinism. Chris Day and Colton Carson takes on all opponents. What's your initial impressions? Oh, um, you know, oof, uh, obviously, obviously, I, I disagree with these gentlemen. Um, there were a couple things that I, I watched and I was like, I wish they would have had a a moment and I this I think this is a new format so I think Marlon's kind of figuring this out and they're kind of kicking the tires a little bit but I wish they'd each had a moment maybe three to five minutes where they could have given a positive case for what they believe what you know why they believe that um, because I think it it was more or less just immediate into the Q&A and no, no, no two Calvinists no two Baptists no two whatever have the exact same view and so, you know, there would be times where Colton would be like, no, I, I can't affirm that. And Chris would be like, I absolutely affirm that. And um, and so it was kind of hard for those that were questioning them, I think, to get kind of a, a take on where they were coming from. And Chris wasn't the most um, atypical, you know, he wasn't the most the most normal Calvinist position like he would he would concede like Romans 9 and 1 Corinthians 2 14 and you know so that was it was a little it was a little interesting but I overall I, I liked it a lot you could see Chris was getting flustered throughout the debate um <laughs> it was it was it, it was pretty bad I like Chris a lot I really do even though we we disagree on much he he actually was the tipping point in pushing me towards uh like a conditional immortality view i was on the fence and, until i spoke with him so and i don't it's not like i disagree with him on everything I, I have a lot of respect for chris but he did not carry himself very well in this in this q a and uh both of these gentlemen seem to be extremely focused on the the philosophy and, and, and in part it was i think in response to some of the questions that were coming but that was the overall appearance was this was more of a philosophical discussion of theistic determinism versus libertarian free will. And if you can have some sort of epistemic justification, even if it's a false belief. Um, and it just, it wasn't a very scripturally grounded discussion and not all of them have to be, but overall I left watching it going. Yeah. wasn't, wasn't that impressed. Yeah. That seems both, to be tremendously brilliant guys, but just not impressed. That seems to be a Chris State thing. Instead of uh, reading the Bible with exegesis in mind, it's always through a lens of determinism. He reads a verse and he's like, how does this fit determinism rather than getting determinism out of the verse? But I cut you off before you could say hi. So uh, maybe say hi to the audience. I'm going to force you to now awkwardly. And yeah. what are we drinking tonight? Um, I was gifted by a, a client, uh, some 12-year-old whistle pig. And um, I'm not a drinker. So I have I take a I take a sip of this. It's like my it's my good night medicine, and then I wash it down with what I really prefer, Diet Coke. Oh, yeah, that's uh, aspartame you're putting into your body, my friend. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a good counterbalance for the uh, for the whistle pig. I hope the whiskey kills the cancer. 
<laughs> me, that's what me I'm, too. Uh, that's what I'm hoping. So um, I understand that you came into a lot of money recently and all these women are in your DMs asking <laughs> about your multi-millions. Yes, yes, yes. I'm a multi, multi, multi-millionaire and it's all thanks to you. And yep. uh, I don't know, was that Photoshop or was that Canva? I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you, you, I think you had created a meme of, uh, of, of false teachers and you had interjected me, uh, 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 Drew McLeod and yourself, and you'd given us each like a dollar value in keeping with that meme. I think your, your net worth was like 17,000. Mine was like 462 million. And I think, I think Drew's was like 52 bucks. Yeah. I think he's like an itinerant preacher or something yeah. like that. That's what, that's my, my feeling. It, and so I had a lot of people reaching out to me and they're like, have you seen this? Are you, are you secretly wealthy? Warren? It's, and I was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a multi-million, half a billion, half a billion. In fact, that, that, those are old numbers. You're a roofing magnet. Yeah, that's right. Yep. But yeah, that was pick up nails, not women. Yep. I'm a magnet. Sounds good. So um, I did get a chance to watch the beginning part of this Calvinist panel discussion. And what struck me right away was how long uh, the gospel truth let the open theists pontificate. It was like two minute points or questions where Chris Date and the other guy, uh, Colton, were just sitting there listening to these guys go on. And I'm like, oh, man, you got to cut off the question at some point. But mm. that was interesting. Um, and then, then it turned right away. It turned into this back and forth, like, oh, my biggest problem. They had uh, Kevin Thompson on, and he's like, my biggest problem is semantically, uh, gospel's not good news if read through the light of Calvinism. So I don't know. May, maybe that's a good argument that's convincing to certain people. It is the, a moralistic fallacy. It is a semantic argument. Um, so it didn't really strike me as like deep thinking or discussion just right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand, I, I, you know, I'm sympathetic to Kevin. I understand the point he's trying to make is it, it's like the gospel's good news, but if God has eternally passed over a significant portion of mankind, never giving them an opportunity to believe, it's definitely not good for them. And the Calvinists would say, well, no, it's good news for those who believe the elect. And so, you know, they had their answer. Intuitively, you still go, eh, it's not good news to all men. Maybe it's good news to all types of men that are elect. It's not, so, I mean, I understand the point Kevin was trying to make, but yeah, it wasn't It wasn't the most, um, I think, uh, biting. It didn't cut anybody off at the knees. It wasn't. Right. And I don't know if he was trying. I don't think he was trying to do that. I don't think Kevin came in there trying to be, you know, some ruthless debater and i know it seemed like he and chris date had had their own uh history if if i understand what happened correctly kevin said he didn't think uh he thought calvinism was a false gospel and chris was like well i won't debate anybody who thinks that you know i believe a set of doctrines that are based on a false gospel and i was like well those are the people you should be debating you know like it's why i'm willing to debate calvinists i mean i you know, they, they'll call me a heretic and I'll say, well, I think your doctrines are an error. Let's let's debate that. Right. So my history with Chris Date, I'm not I don't know if you're aware or not, but uh, he is having his some debate in some place. Maybe it was, it was like with Will Duffy or someone um, about open theism. And he pulled out this verse about what he claimed was a timeless proof text, God inhabiting eternity. 
And so I replied that the exact same phrase is used about man as God. And he was berating me on air. Just, uh, just, just the most shameless stuff. So I brought my dad on and we did a response stream in which we roasted him because he was definitely wrong. And then a Hebrew scholar wrote an article defending the things I said and refuting Chris Date that Chris Date's like, oh, those are different clauses. Those are different phrases. So definitely this one means that God is timeless and man is not because of how the phrase is used. A Hebrew scholar came back and said, you know, they're basically the same phrase. And so I posted that to him. And he was really bitter from my response stream that just uh, just uh, just rifted on him, just made fun of him and tore him apart. And so he blocked me and never talked to me again. Mm. So um, I don't feel like Chris Day is scholarly. I think he's uh, very full of himself. And if he doesn't get uh, the respect he thinks he should have or if his points are just blatantly refuted, just like his Inhabits Eternity proof text, he gets really defensive and he doesn't have an actual answer. And so yeah, I, I saw a lot of emotional uh, responses from, from Chris. Like I said, I, there, there are things that I really like about Chris, you know um, I think, I think that he is um, at least in this scenario and a few others that I saw when he's pressured on some things, he gets, he gets more emotional and it, I think it's hard for him to maintain like a, a, a cool head. And I get it. Cause in those those situations where the cameras are rolling and people are calling you wrong, it's real easy to get personally invested in this because you believe this, but you have to maintain some cool kind of calm demeanor. And even in the comments, I was like, Chris, like, I disagree with you, but you need to calm down because you're, you're doing your position a disservice. Like, just calm down. Like you, you can take a minute, breathe, say, Hey, I disagree with that. You know, take a minute. Like you don't have to, it doesn't, like, don't clutch your pearls. Don't call Leighton Flowers arguments immature and juvenile. And like, that's, you know, I mean, that's that's not that's not a good, solid response. Even if you truly believe Leighton's, Leighton's uh, arguments are immature and juvenile, show that they're immature and juvenile with your questioning and your responses. That would be more of a, I think, a successful response than just to, you know, become upset and, and, and name call. So like you, I'm drinking as well tonight, but uh, my body, apparently since I didn't drink like at all during college, like my body's just trying to like catch up. So I, I have high alcohol tolerance, probably from years of lacking drink. Uh, I was poor in college. I don't know if mm. you've ever experienced being poor, Mr. Millionaire, but uh, well, I just... it was only recently that I, I came into some Photoshop ah. money. So it was, uh, yeah, up, in, up until about a week ago, I was just one of you common plebeian, right. you know. Blue collar, brown collar types. You know, it's only <laughs> recently that uh, I started golfing with Trump and uh, Hunter Biden. Mm -hmm. Right. So the only reason I'm drinking tonight is because I have to drive a whole ton of people around tonight. So I, I got to get in the spirit. Well, you know, it's like it's like that uh, that old saying. It says, uh, "I want to pass away, you know, at peace, gently in my sleep, like my grandfather, and not the other people in the car with him that were screaming and terrified." Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's the debate, uh, the open theist take on all people. Uh, we're not we're going to skip the beginning part because in my experience, that was kind of rambling and not very substantive. So tell us a good entry point for some sort of substance that we want to talk about. Oh, man, I, I'm not I'm not prepared with timestamps. Uh oh, I, I came in at the last minute. Um, I thought I thought this was your show. 
Yeah. Well, we could go to where apparently I've been told Vela pops on at some point. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that's interesting. Apostate. It's interesting that they're bringing on someone who has called um, uh, Jesus a lunatic. He said, no, he's not Looney Tunes, but he was deceived. He was self-deceived. He was wrong. Uh, he's called called the God of the Bible, a Hebraic Megazeus, which ironically, he also called Dynamic Omniscience, the God portrayed there, a Hebraic Megazeus. And I think, I think Tyler's starting to see the God of the Bible is a dynamic one. But he, well, he doesn't want to say it though. Um, he doesn't. But he, doesn't. he knows, he knows it's true. And that is his reason. I got screenshots from him basically saying open theism is the reason he converted away from the Bible because the Bible actually teaches open theism and not Calvinism. And then he'll go on and lie and say, Calvinism was the thing that was keeping me Christian. Well, yeah, but it wasn't the Bible. It, the, the Calvinism was in opposition to the Bible. And that's why you converted away. So you, and you don't. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you're bringing on an, um, an apostate and, and somebody who has now made himself an enemy of the faith um, in order to defend uh calvinism but i think he actually came on this program claiming that he had some good challenges for the calvinist position um but i didn't watch much of him um when i see tyler vela i react kind of like chris date to Leighton flowers so so i'm very sympathetic to chris like you know i mean we all have our kryptonite and uh and tyler vela has a tendency to get under my skin a little bit but uh so i didn't i didn't really watch much of vela's uh commentary but i do yeah okay all right guys you know what just just in i'm a rebel i'm gonna do this in spite of you guys <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna shoot aspartame in spite I'm of shooting us. aspartame shooting aspartame and drinking booze how my how the mighty have fallen <laughs> um but no you know I, I don't know why they would bring uh vela on i think most of his criticisms of christianity are are, are going to be centered around divine hiddenness but then he'll turn around and affirm theistic determinism. And I think he holds to a transcendent God that transcends existence because he holds to a non-existent deity. That's kind of my takeaway from, from Vela. Right. Uh, so here he is in the screenshot. Uh-oh. Do we, do we dare do this? Oh, no. We're going in blind, man. Oh, Neither one of us know what this guy's going to say. I also heard Chris Date went on some rants. So if anyone's got a good Chris Date rant timestamp, that will be good as well. And so let, let, let's hear this. We're hidden Push the play. button at any point in order to guarantee that what, ha that, that what he has determined to happen, in fact, happens. But in Franklin, he does. That's the issue. I don't know. In, I don't know enough Frank, about the Frankfurt, yeah, Frankfurt style examples. Well, so that's, 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 that's the Frankfurt style example is basically if, if he's going to if he. So here's the problem with all these talking heads is they all want to talk at the same time. So it gets a little bit jumbled. And so a good moderator probably would be like, okay, cut someone off and tell them when to start and allow the conversation to flow naturally. But if there's too much crosstalk. You, you got to stop that because it's almost incomprehensible. Yeah. And now, now one thing too, to mention, you and I are going to be in, sitting in the hot seat like Chris and Colton were coming up. In December, we're scheduled to be on uh, Marlon's program. You're going to be uh, defending open theism at large. I'm going to be there more geared towards like a dynamic view, which is an open position. Um, and one of the things I think we both have learned from this is that we need to have at least five minutes apiece to 
give a positive case for our position. And I think that we do need to make sure that when we're engaging someone, that there be like a, a, a minimum or a maximum amount of time that they're allowed to ask the question. And then we choose one of us to respond. And then maybe if the other person wants to interject, you know, then they're given that so that you're not having that constant talk over because it just, it gets too muddy. Right. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, December 16th, you say I'd, I'd have to go check with my media handler who handles all my media appearances mm. and verify that date. Is that, is that one of your three dozen children? Well, <laughs> that would be awful. <laughs> my media presence would be ruined. You think I'm ruining it? What Dude, you're they on, you're handle? Kids YouTube talking about open theism. <laughs> kids these days at school. It's like they're bucking the woke narrative. And so all their jokes are like all racism and like Hitler and stuff. My wife's like, why do our boys joke about Hitler? I was walking uh, to a high school football game and they have pictures of all the football players uh, on the sides and they each get to have like one item with them. Like what one person has like his trumpet. I don't know. He plays trumpet or something. And the, the, the black player has like a chicken wing in his mouth. I I had to feel it to make sure it was real. I'm like, who? What? This this feels racist, but but it's a self self deprecating joke culture that they're living in now. These kids, and so I think I'd get canceled really really fast if I let any of these high schoolers uh, manage any of my social media. Oh yeah, no, like a lot of the kids will interject like self de de depreciating racism at themselves as a as a joke, you know, because it's it's gotten to the point where. You know, like certain generations, it was kind of taboo. Other generations, it was like acceptance. And then other generations, it was like, you know, oh, clutch your pearls. I, I'm, I'm offended. And the, the next several generations are just like flat out, no hold bars, joking about it. Like it just has no meaning at all. Right. Is nature healing or are people uh, gaining back senses of humor and uh, able to take, take uh, language that insults them? Oh, well, Maybe. like on my, on my Facebook today. Uh, one of my Facebook friends, uh, who is who is who's uh, black, you know, he's person of color, uh, African American. I, I got it. I don't know what term is is socially acceptable today. Um, he had more melanin than me, and he had um, a picture on there of these cats that were, I think, AI generated, and each cat spelled out a different letter. Oh no! Very infamous, <laughs> infamous word. You know, it starts with an N. And I, I went on and I joked and I said, well, for the record, I've always been a dog person, you know, like mm. I don't want to be accused of liking cats in the wrong context. But I think I think people are starting to get their their sense of humor back and and cutting up and, and joking. Right. I, I think that's a good thing. Nature's healing. Right. If, if he's going to do what God knows he's going to do, he doesn't push the button. If he's going to do what God doesn't want him to do, God pushes the button. And that's what that's the frame mm. for it's no, so example. it's like if you're familiar with uh, God's uh, beyond bobsled, whenever it comes, whenever Jones comes to a sinful action, and let's just say God does want him to do a sinful action, he refrains. It's the theory of right. privation. Yes. So he refrains and holds back his reins. So that means who's doing the action? It's in the circumstances and in his dispositional environment. Jones allows God allows his sinfulness to just kind of permeate through that that action to that event. Now, let's just say God wants to specifically uh, engage and intervene. He would intervene in a way that makes him uh, praiseworthy. So like, for example, salvation. 
So let's just say a cold, stormy night, he wants to save me out of my despair. And so he regenerates me. All right. So this is bobsled analogy. Um, uh, we, we probably missed it, but I, I think what he's going for is this idea that uh, God can watch and then make sure every decision tree goes the way that God wants. And if it does go the way God wants, then God doesn't have to intervene to make it go the way he wants uh, because he'll just let it play out in those circumstances. It's it's one of the, these fatalistic uh, story problems where, where is, does the person have free will if God just allows him to do what they want when it aligns with what God wants? Well, they're affirming a presentist ontology of time. Because God is there in the moment, actively restraining or letting go. So that's kind of contrary to their atemporal view of God. But then the other issue that they have is that it's God who created the hill. It's God who, who poured the snow. It's God who created the gravity, the, the bobsled, and Bob. And so the forces that are pulling Bob towards sin were put there by God. So it's actually, if, if sin is the thing that he's being drawn towards, then it's God who created that attraction. It's God who's tempting. And, and not just tempting, but when he lets go, he's actively allowing him to be overcome by temptation so as to sin. Um, and so this this uh, Frankfurt, uh, you know, Bignon's bobsled doesn't really work. Um, it, it, it has tremendous problems whenever you're applying it to theistic determinism. Yeah, especially because all actions that which will ever occur have truth values from eternity past before we even existed to make those determinations. And so regardless of how we get to it, it's fated to happen. Saying that it's free will, that's not what people think of as free will, mm -hmm. where you're fated to do that no matter what. And within their system, even God cannot subvert what he knows will happen. God can't go and change what he knows will happen and subvert this fatalistic chain of events. God is a passive participant. Of course, they'll say, oh, he doesn't want to because this is maximizing and and there's no reason to. But no, in, in their view, he cannot do it. He just doesn't have the ability. God is impotent rather than omnipotent. He's impotent. Yeah, and especially especially because they hold to an eternally timeless view of God. There was never a moment where he actually freely decreed anything. Um I like that. Roddy says Avengers analogies are much more interesting than bobsled analogies. Yeah, my my idea was uh, maybe if I'm interacting with someone, I'll say, "Here's an analogy from the Marvel universe," and then just go on to describe like Jonah or something. What if you remember? Prophet? <laughs> do you remember the uh, the movie Cool Runnings? Yes, I do remember that. Movie. What was it that they would say before uh, they would uh, go down the hill? Remember they had like that a, a famous chant or whatever. Oh no, you're killing me here. I do not know. You're gonna you're gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it up right All now. Right. I'll hit play while that happens. Feel the rhythm, is feel the rhyme, cool. get on up. It's bobsled time. Right. I would never come up with that in a million years. That that was not part of my memories. No, no, that, so I imagine I imagine there's some Calvinists there, you know, and they're like cheering God on as he's like orchestrated and created all of this. You know, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. It's really funny that their analogies, just like just just the analogies that they use to explain their position, have like an open theist presentation of God within them. Because really, that's the only option that people have conceptually available available to us 
to understand God. It's all open theism. And I, I don't think that a timeless God is conceptionable. It, you, you can't conceive of him. It, it's not a concept that can be grasped as a God without relation to sequence, who is an eternal now, forever static, unchanging, not subject to you time. Know, and, and some would say, well, that's because he's transcendent. But I would say that's because it's opposed to reason. It's opposed to logic. It's opposed to reality. And 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 that's why you have the in the, the classical view of God, something that is so contrary, uh, so beyond understanding, that they dismiss every bit of God's actual revelation as, you know, empty metaphor and, 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 and analog. But yeah yeah that is that is pretty funny like i'll, I'll I, don't, I don't know if you remember the james white debate against uh william lane craig james white is trying to use the example from genesis where the 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 son's intention to do harm to joseph but god intentions that for good and william lane craig's like that's that's my position. You're using a proof text that explains what I believe. It's that's not your proof text. What are you doing here? Like all their proof texts are proof texts for a system that they don't agree with. And that that's why uh, I like to point out that Calvinist proof texts are very compartmentalized. And so mm -hmm. if it's God doing something or determining something or making something happen, uh, that only is speaking towards their predestination, a feature, the facet of of uh, how they believe God operates. But they forget and overlook that he's acting sequentially, that he has discursive thinking and knowledge, that he's interacting, uh, that he's responding in those situations. All sorts of things that that go against their conception of who God is and how God operates. They're focusing very specifically on the one thing that they want their proof text to prove and ignoring the wider picture that it's drawing of God. Well, it's like I, one of the questions, I posted five questions in the chat. I've been getting over a cold. And when this was going on, I was in a coughing fit. So I was like, there's no way I'm going live. But I posted five questions in the chat. And one of them was, since these guys affirm an all-temporal view of God, can they admit publicly that they deny God has literal foreknowledge and literally predestined anything? And I don't think that question ever got asked. Um <laughs> I think Will Duffy got Vela when Vela was pretending to be Christian. I think he got him to admit that and that God does not think. Well, I got I got Vela to admit God does not think, and I got Anthony Rogers to admit uh, that, no, we may say that, and it may look like that, but we don't really believe God predestines or foreknows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, we better hit play because uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we've, we've, we've only those... played maybe a minute of these guys yeah, yeah. in total, and we're already 30 minutes in. Uh-oh. What kind of review is this? Who hired these guys? Pushing the button, right? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> because he's praiseworthy for that. So he's going but to actually intervene in that story. But when it comes to sinful choices, he has deficient causation. He pulls the reins, similar to Bignon's bobsled, and lets it fall. If I let a ball roll down a hill, you know what it's going to do? It's going to fall. And God doesn't need some magical power in order for him to fall. And I know. All right, I know. All right, Dan. Uh, what you got, Dan? Then we're gonna let Tyler get into the to the fray as well. Go ahead. Are they doing a hand raising thing? Just like is, they're chiming in with hand raises. I think that's Dan. Dan's just a pretty charitable, Light guy. respectful guy. I think he okay. came up with that. I I maybe I didn't know if they implemented something. Dan, 
And we're so to, I'm, I, I hold on before you go, Dan. I've told I told Chris and Colton that we was only gonna do this for two and a half hours, roughly. So I kind of want to keep that time frame. It's already seven thirty. Time flies by, and I don't want to keep these guys. It's it's too late for me to make my taekwondo class tonight, so I'll just stick around till we're done. <laughs> All right. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Well, so, I got a, I got a time frame too, so I ain't gonna press that too much. Okay. <laughs> my wife will beat me over the head if I'm on this thing too long. So, so use some taekwondo I, on you. <laughs> yes, jujitsu me and put me in a triangle chokehold for sure. Uh, 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 Dan, what are your thoughts? What, what are your thoughts, Dan? We'll let. Tyler, because I know Tyler disagrees with certain portions of your argument. So, well, Dan, go ahead, say what you got to say, and then we'll so, let Tyler respond to you. So, I'm a classical Arminian, so I hold a total depravity, but I do not hold to utter depravity. And what I think he described is utter depravity, because if if um, if the sinful action is one and only one sinful action, then it's kind of like uh, if God presses the button with a grace, the person goes up and does the right thing. If not, he does the worst possible thing. But if there's multiple evil options, like so, let's say for example, Pharaoh. Right, because if there's multiple evil options, why is it that one is determined? In 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 fact, so why why is it that God can control things if there's multiple sinful options? Like let's say for example, Pharaoh could either let the Israelites go out of self-preservation or he could uh, hold the Israelites. So why is it there's only one? So this is actually a good point that uh, Dan is bringing up, that there's multiple ways to fulfill any sequence of events. There's multiple decisions. There's actually infinite ways. Uh, let's, let's take a prophecy, for example. Uh, there's, there's a prophecy that says that uh, we'll say that Tyre, the city of Tyre, is going to be destroyed. Now, I think historically it didn't happen under Nebuchadnezzar, but all sorts of people who salvage the prophecy say things like, well, if you read the text very critically, it says armies, plural. And so it doesn't necessarily mean Nebuchadnezzar. And so maybe like like uh, 300 years later, Alexander could come with his army. And that counts as the prophecy fulfillment. Uh, what The point that they are illustrating is that there is almost infinite leeway in interpreting and uh, bringing something to pass, th th there's just infinite options. And so it's not an either or, either one person does this one evil action. There, there's an infinite number of variations of those actions. How is God allowing them to pick one certain one? And uh, and how is how does that mean that they don't have free will? Because they could have just done almost anything. I think that's what he's going for. I don't know if I explained it the best here. Well, no, I mean, like, I think, I think Dan brought up a really good point, And that is, look, um, if God has determined for, you know, and I think I mentioned this on Layton's program, for some fifth grader to steal a candy bar, what determines the number of candy bars that he steals? Like, you know, why, 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 why must he steal two and not one? Why must he steal two and not three? Um, you know, why does he have to steal a Butterfinger and, and not a Payday or, uh, you know, a, a, a Baby Ruth? And of course, the John Calvin answer is there's no secret determinations of the heart. God guides absolutely everything, even everything deep into our heart. And so nothing's fortuitous. No mere permission is what Calvin argues in Calvin's Institutes. And I, I don't think I've ever met a Calvinist who has read the no mere permission chapter, a huge, huge length of text that Calvin writes about no mere permission. God just doesn't permit things to happen. He makes those things happen. 
they're not familiar with their own literature. And they're not familiar with the reasons why John Calvin says that it must be the case. God's just not letting things happen. Nothing's outside of God's control. Uh, that's demeaning to God. And he uses a lot of choice language to describe people who believe those things. He doesn't like them. And so if uh, Date and Colton are taking this position, Calvin condemns them in his institutes. No mere permission. Yep. It's not it's not consistent with with uh, historic Calvinism. It seem it seems to be more of this uh, philosophical watering down of theistic determinism, and in order to make it seem more palatable. So so I would I would compare the philosophical defense that Chris Date and Colton are levying as the Diet Coke to my whistle pig because it makes it palatable. All right, Roddy over here in the comments is mentioning uh, three musketeers. I like that's like what old ladies get to hand out on Halloween, and those are the last candies what left ever because nobody Werther's Originals or whatever it is. Like <laughs> what I love that Werther's Originals. I will yeah. eat those all day. Dude, I, I know, I know. Right off camera, you got a a, a hard ceramic coffee uh, candy dish with Werther's Originals and those little strawberry rock candies in there. I know, I know it. I just know it. I have stopped buying candy except for to like give out to people like uh, my kids, but uh, I'm trying. I, I eat a lot of candy because there's candy dishes everywhere, but I am trying not to buy any candy. Doesn't seem like a good use of money. Sinful option. And and does your analogy, the Bobson analogy work if the person isn't always inclined to do the worst possible thing? If the person has multiple evil thing. options. I, I just said that because it doesn't, the way God I'm using the logic of it, not what you said. That's fine, but the way God refrains is also a function to how we sin. So the more he is engaging, the more grace is in the situation, and the more God um, decreed he would he refrain. See this so God is actively refraining. Right. It's uh it's all fatalism. Turtles I, all the way down. Uh, yeah. The more someone is filled with the spirit and allowing the spirit to control their life the more that they're walking with God and doing uh, praiseworthy acts, right? Okay, now, the less they're filled with the Spirit in the sense that they're not walking. And Layton Flowers called out Michael Faber and blowing into his microphone. I, I didn't seem to, that, that's, that's probably his microphone doing the blowing noises. I think so. Mm -hmm. With Christ, and there's no grace in that situation, then the less they do praiseworthy acts. So it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of like a function measure. So the more God's involved, the less we sin, right? And then the less God is involved, the more we sin. Edwards has been saying this but, for hundreds of years. That, that no, feels like we're you're falling saying, into you're saying You're saying the lack of grace determines the sinful action, but it shouldn't. It Because the sinful action should be determined by the person's choice, not by a lack of grace. It's just which sinful action, but all the options are going to be sinful without well, grace. That, that is based on an indeterministic view, yes. I'm I'm in the dialectic. I'm giving a frame for what you asked, right? For for the author of analogy, how would this work in a deterministic view? So in my, that dialectical role, I'm giving you a model. So you can't respond to it by saying, well, in an indeterministic model, that doesn't work. Well, yeah, obviously, but in so, a deterministic so how does model, the lack of grace how do you get should one option in your model. How do you get the one evil option in your model? Yeah, so the problem with this discussion is it's like they're they're just uh, fleshing out features of theological models. 
they're jello. It's it's you you can't pin it down because you'll come in and you'll say, you know, what is it about this? And they'll go, oh well, I thought you were asking from an indeterministic stance. So that's why I answered. It's like, well, no, according to you, like we're here because of what you believe. What do you believe? And uh, and they never. I don't think they were ever able to successfully say what the mechanism was that that by God withholding grace resulted in that specific sin. Um, they never were able to actually point to the mechanism. All right. I think right. they could have. I just don't think that they wanted to. I got. Uh, I think uh, Tyler Vela is uh, speaking pretty soon. We'll kind of fast forward a little bit, and then we'll see what he says. Uh, well, Heretic, I need more whistle pig for this. Whistle pig. Okay, let's whistle. I, I don't know whistle pig. I, I only buy the cheapest stuff. I don't buy anything. It was gifted to me. Um, right. I buy Diet Cokes and Lacroix, so yeah. that's all I spend my money oh. on. Yeah, you're you're you are correct. Technically, you are correct. You do not buy anything if you're buying those things. <laughs> Colton engaging Dan. So go ahead and inject your question and we'll tackle that. What you got? Uh, well, mine would be a, a shifting of gears. Um, it's great. It's great to be on this side of the table, actually, um, you know, for, for the first time ever. Um, and I feel I felt it incumbent as the only, you know, non-Christian on the, the call to say, hey, let's go talk about the Bible for a little <laughs> bit. Um, so uh, I, I, that sounds good so far. Hit us. Hit us with something. I wanted to ask a question um to uh, to uh colton for a second um it is it is a little bit of a philosophical question but i'm curious if you think that um there's any type of argument or objection that could be posed from the the garden um that adam and eve might not have met the epistemic contention uh, condition of responsibility um no because i think the epistemic condition of responsibility is presupposed in the control condition of responsibility. Yeah, so this is this is a conversation. Uh, Calvinists take on all challengers, and so like if like an insane atheist or a Buddhist or something like that came on and started uh, attacking them some from some sort of random angle, I'd be all for that. So I'm not necessarily um, opposed to Tyler Vela Tyler Vela being on this panel if he's there for the purpose of it. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's fair. So, in other words, like, let's just say you know, I'm backing out of my driveway and there's a cat right there, and I killed the cat. You know, we would say epistemically that oh, because I didn't know that I'm not morally responsible. But then some people want to say like non-actional theorists or intentional uh, agent who, who specialize in intentional agency would say oh, but well, you still freely did it, you still controlled the car. But I don't know if I want to say that. Uh, Alfred Mealy actually gives a good argument in his 2002 paper that basically says, yes, you didn't know that you killed the cat when you backed up, but it's because you also didn't freely kill the cat. Like it's one and the same. And now look, look at the way that he's arguing. Very carefully, he's arguing. To also Colton is essentially saying you backed the car up over the cat and you killed it. Technically you killed the cat, but you're not morally responsible because you did not know. And uh, you did not technically kill the cat because you did not know, right? So he's arguing like an epistemic sort of basis, which is completely diametrically opposed to uh, Chris Date's author model. Because in that model, uh, God is the one who has written that you will back up over the cat. God knew you were going to back up over the cat. God caused you to back up over the cat. God had the epistemic knowledge. God would be the one held responsible for killing the cat, according to the defense Colton just gave, in 
uh, Chris Date's model, but they will kind of part ways there uh, in order to uh, try and help one another out instead of making Calvinism look bad. Yeah, it's it's interesting that in the Bible, like culpability has has an element of negligence as well. And so God finds himself culpable of man's condition in Genesis 6, even though man's condition was not foreknown to him. Um, he's, he's Because he was a major actor in putting mankind on earth, which led to this situation, he's accepting some responsibility for the state of affairs. And you, you even have the institution of this, the cities of refuge, where if you accidentally killed a man, you're cutting down a tree and the axe handle falls off and, and strikes him dead the family could come after you and they would be you know, morally justified to put you to death, but you, you could flee to these cities of refuge. And so in this case, you're not actively, you know, intentionally trying to slay someone, but you're still culpable. And yet, you know, here Colton is trying to give an argument that you're not, uh, which I think is one contrary to Chris Day's model, but two contrary to the Bible. Right. Like uh, I was pulling my car out today. I made extra sure to make sure all my kids were somewhere I could see as I backed out the car, because if I hit them, even unintentionally, um, it'd probably be my fault. It'd probably, it'd probably be responsible. Mm. But um, that, that's an interesting conversation. But it has nothing to do with the Bible, as uh, as Adam points out. Uh, this is Taylor Avela comes in, says, "I want to talk about the Bible. Let's talk about culpabilities." So presuppose that in their um, moderate reasoned responsiveness conditions so the epistemic condition so even though they try to separate it and they focus they try to say they focus it on the control condition uh it's if you read them very carefully it seems that ep the epistemic conditions kind of busting out the seams and i think that's convincing so that means if you have the control condition you will have the epistemic condition and they come hand in hand so if adam and eve <laughs> possessed a control condition then they probably possess the epistemic condition I have if no they lacked the epistemic condition, would it work, work in reverse that if they lacked epistemic condition, they wouldn't therefore? Um, yeah. Yeah, because like in the car scenario. So this is supposed to be a discussion about people challenging Calvinism. It's on all these very lofty philosophical, oh, is that person really responsible or not? It's, it doesn't seem like a substantive challenge. It, it seems like, like a semantic challenge like you're you're just arguing over word definitions at this point yeah i don't i don't really see too many people coming to this going i'm on the fence about calvinism <laughs> and this is really going to help me know whether or not i need to affirm it or deny it and they're talking about killing cats and writing books and uh you know you're like ah, what 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 uh i think most people you know would, would oh really, yeah they're going to not like like let's say you're a hardcore calvinist and you're listening to this you're like okay cats responsibility running over the cat okay i'm not a calvinist anymore <laughs> i i don't think that's going to happen yeah if since i i'm not blameworthy for killing the cat because i didn't know the cat was there so in, in an intentional way since i didn't intend to kill the cat i wasn't free in killing the cat so in that sense yes if you lack the epistemic condition then you also lack the control condition Okay. Um, Not everyone. I, that, but yeah, I, I would have some follow-up questions, but I I, I want to get to some some. some I'm curious what Bella so, thinks this uh, relates to specifically with Calvinism. Um, you know, he he asked the question, but then he didn't really press down on it. It was like there may be an issue here with Calvinism. Oh, okay, you you gave me an answer. I'm not going to probe that any further. Let's just move on. 
I think he wants his cake and to be and to eat it too. I think he wants to be like a internet Calvinist with the internet Calvinist built-in audience and fame and talk about internet Calvinist options, even though he's not a Christian. I think I think so. I, th- I, I think and, and Colton's a friend of his still, I believe. And uh and I think he has a great respect for Chris Date. So he wants to he wants to be friendly and, and accepted because he's not ready to completely write up. He hasn't completely moved to the myth vision audience yet. You know, like he's, he's still in that direction. He hasn't completely transitioned and he needs to maintain, I think some degree of, I I think that market's saturated. I don't think there's a place for him there. No, there is. Go. I want to go to, to, to Chris. Um, And this is, you know, some of these are, uh, are, are, Hey, Chris, hope you're doing well. Um, Tyler, what passage are you bringing up so I can bring it up on the screen? I'm going to bring up, Three in conjunction because they basically say the same thing. It's a similar question, and Chris will be aware of them. But I would, I would love his thoughts. I don't know if I've, I've heard him directly on this before, um, and that's the use of pos or pontos in Romans five eight, First Corinthians fifteen twenty two, and Second Corinthians five fourteen to fifteen. These are the these are the um, basically the three passages that are you know one died for all, therefore all live. Some variation on those. Um, we could also bring up Hebrews 2, 9 through 10 if we want to. But I, my, my question is on these ones. Sorry, 518, not 518. I was wondering I that too, yeah. I, I, was, um, I knew what he was talking about. Yeah, you, you notice they're talking about cats a lot. And then uh, Gospel Truth pulls up his web browser. What is his ads? There's a cat in his ad. I'm going to scroll back just a little bit. They're spying on him. Uh-oh. Um. We could also bring up Hebrews 2, 9 through 10 if we want to, but I see look, yeah, look, look at that. Yeah. Wow. My my question is on these ones. Google spying on him, giving mm-hmm. all his ad revenue stuff. Uh, sorry, 518, not 518. I was wondering that too. Yeah. I, I was um, I knew what he was talking about. I had it, I had it typed, I had it typed out wrong. Five five eighteen. Um on on these, you know, the Hebrews 2, 9 through 10 seems to be a similar one. How even on the reformed understanding with ironic says is Vela a non-christian classical theist now like uh i was talking to this guy on facebook i was like and he's like oh Vela is converting away i said yeah he listened to me when i tell calvinists all the time that you guys don't like the bible you guys would probably be happier just as a platonist there's a religion for what the things you believe that that you don't the bible's not weighing you down and then he converts away to be like just a normal platonist and I was like, well, he listened to my advice. And the Calvinist is like, uh, prove that he is listening to your advice. It's like, what? I, 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 it happened. Okay. It, it's just a Platonist. And so that's a happy move for him. He could be happier there. That's, that's, uh, he's more comfortable with that because then this, you don't have to be the This may be the whistle pig talking. It probably is. I'm a lightweight. Okay. But I think from now on, when, when I'm accused of following a mega Zeus, uh, I'm going to say that his theology is the equivalent of a mega deuce. I think I think <laughs> that might be the whistle pig talking, but I think right. Uh, who, who's using this terminology except for him? I don't. Think it is. It, it's Vela. Uh, I there, there it hasn't. And, and people on. that have watched people that have watched Vela have adopted the mega Zeus uh, criticism, and it's it's so bad. Somebody was commenting on my YouTube channel today. They're like, "You still believe in a mega Zeus?" And I'm like, "No, I, I believe God." And when he says what he said, I don't dismiss right. it. Maybe, maybe the more astute thing to respond to is like, oh, where did you get those talking points from? 
who's feeding you your lines? Yeah. Are, are you critically thinking about anything you're saying? Or are you just repeating something someone told you? Mm. Yeah. If, if you're getting your talking points from an apostate uh, who, who believes the Bible teaches open theism and coming onto channels and trying to dispute open theism, yeah, you might want to reconsider. That might not be the best strategy. You, you, you believe that Vela was created unable to rightly understand and accept spiritual truth, right? And you're going to go to him for insight on spiritual truth when he is calling Jesus a lunatic. I think that might be indication he's not regenerate, doesn't rightly understand it, if your system is correct. So why would you go to him as a source of understanding? It, it just, they're not consistent. And I don't think they really care about being consistent. It's just what can no. be weaponized in the moment. Yep, it's an in-group, out-group. Uh, Vela's still part of the in-group. He's on our team. And so it doesn't matter if he's a Christian or not. He's one of us. We will support him. We will defend him. We will parrot his talking points to the extent we can to attack this out-group. Who's the out-group? Anyone who's not Calvinist. People who are open theists. Vela's on our team. He's protected. In-group, out-group. You see it all the time. But it seems that there is some type of equivocation that has to happen between the all. Um, maybe not so much in 518, but it does seem in the 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Hebrews passages, that there does seem to be, have to be an equivocation. How, how do we exegetically justify the, the change in scope of POS in, in, the, in, the, you know, in, the, in the preliminary causes and the following clauses? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, let me try to rephrase it, number one, to make sure I understood it, and number two, for the audience so they can understand what you're asking. I think what you're asking is when a Calvinist like me responds to, say, well, actually, it doesn't even have to be a Calvinist, right? Um, Universalists, for example, will argue from Romans 5.18 that, look, the trespass led to a condemnation for all men, so Christ's act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Um, it, presumably, those two alls are the same, but of course, as a Calvinist, I respond by, well, it's not even as a Calvinist, it's just this is something that we Calvinists might be a little more aware of than the non-Calvinists typically. Um, that word pas has a semantic range, meaning a, a, a number of possible meanings, one of which is not every single one of, but rather every single kind of. And so I will say, yes, it led to justification in life for all men, every kind of person, right? Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, etc. But your challenge is, how do you justify? Yeah, uh, so then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all different types of men, sailors, uh, like people who work in plumbing, uh, people with beards, all types of men. Even though one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all types of men. Uh, people who are short. Are those men? I don't know. I just... <laughs> no, don't hate me if you're short. It was a joke. What appears to you to be a change, an equivocation, a, a shifting um, to that meaning from a different meaning in the first clause, which is one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Right. So the, the assumption is I take one trespass led to condemnation for all men to mean that what Paul is saying is one trespass led to condemnation for every single human being. But then you're, you think I go on to say one act of righteousness leads to justification in life, not for every single human being, but every kind of human being.
And you're saying, what is the justification for shifting those goalposts or the changing which, which, which of Pass's range of meanings I'm using in the first clause versus? The- yeah. Yes. That, that's that's a correct rephrasing. The second. Does that is it? Are, am I getting? Am I on track? Yeah, I, I think so. I, 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 I think I already see where you're where you're going to go with it. So I, 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 I think I think I already preemptively appreciate your answer. So I look forward. Well, to it. well I guess time will tell, won't it? Um, yeah. So I want to just throw something in here, quick a second. If sure. you're going to say all kinds, you're going to need from the context to be able to justify saying that it means all kinds. Here, you can't just say, "Well, this means all kinds." I agree. Because I agree. So. I agree. So my answer to Tyler's question is, I don't, in fact change the meaning. So when I read Romans 5.18, I don't take it to mean the following. As one trespass led to condemnation for every single human being, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all kinds of men. I don't do that. I read it as, as one trespass led to condemnation for every kind of person, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for every kind of person. So in other words, I'm not equivocating. I'm not changing which definition. He's abandoning one proof text for total depravity. Yeah. And of pass I'm using, I'm consistent throughout. But that, of course, raises the question that Michael implied, which is um, on what exegetical basis, uh, on what context? So that's one thing we got to realize for debates. It's not the end of the world to lose a proof text. And sometimes just saying, yeah, the verse could be read in this fashion or that fashion. I agree this is not a very good proof text. That might be a proper way to respond in any conversation, especially if they're the ones bringing up the proof text. If you're the one bringing up proof text for your position, you should be pretty sure that there's not alternative, sensible readings, and especially not readings that could be read better when taking the context into account. That shouldn't be your proof text. Your proof text should be something that's solid. It could stand against the scrutiny and alternative rational explanations. But I don't think I don't think the statement by the sin of one man, condemnation came for all kinds of people, is compatible with the idea that Adam's sin condemned all individuals. I don't think that's compatible. Now they may try and get into a semantic argument where all types of people are part of all people, but, but we're back to the same criticism that, uh, he was previously trying to avoid. So I don't, I don't think that's actually compatible. I don't think, I don't think Chris was able to dodge that. Um, unless Paul, okay. So devil's advocate, let's say Paul is trying to, he has a Jewish audience and the Jews are very concerned about what Paul has been saying about the Gentiles. And Paul's trying to convince them that there's no difference between Jewish and Gentile believers this might be like a equalizing statement. It might, the the purpose of it might not be total depravity or metaphysics of sin or anything like that. The purpose of this might be to humble Jewish secretarians. And in that sense, that is a plausible reading of this. Actual grounds. Do I uh, justify understanding pos to mean every kind of rather than every single one of and that i don't think is difficult well can i yeah but let me finish responding to uh, to michael first and then you can go and then michael can go and we can go round and round and round um from (laughs) okay that wasn't necessary chris state from the beginning of romans it seems to me that paul's argument is about kinds of people not every single individual 
So famously, right, Romans 2 and 3 are all about how it's both Jew and Gentile who are, are responsible for sinning. All have fallen short, not just the Gentile, but also the Jew. And that context seems to me to follow all throughout Romans leading into and beyond the text we're talking about here. So the answer I give to you, Michael, is that in context, it appears, at least to me, as if Paul is arguing about distinctions between kinds of people, not distinctions between individual people. Now, of course, that doesn't mean I'm saying that there are individuals who haven't sinned. I'm not saying that. I, I think other other texts could be brought to bear on um, in answering the question, is every single individual um, sinful and, and, and fallen short of the glory of God. But what Paul is arguing, in my opinion, is the distinction between there, there being no distinction between kinds of people, not every individual. So Tyler, you were going to follow up on the answer I gave to you. Okay. So this is a point to consider if you're coming on one of these shows to try to challenge someone's view. Um, you're probably not going to want to grab one of their proof texts to talk about one of their proof texts and the meaning of it, because you might lose five minutes them explaining that your assumptions about what they think about that proof text are incorrect and uh, it's just irrelevant to the conversation. Uh, a better thing to do to challenge people is to come to them with a verse that directly challenges things that they claim rather than one of their proof texts to make them clarify on their own proof texts. Yeah, that makes that, sense. Yeah, that, that, that'll be a little bit harder hitting. Like, oh, it says here in Genesis, God repented of making man his own action. Did God repent of his own action? And then then they're left uh, trying to explain away the whole context. And it, it, looks, very, it looks very sketchy when, yeah. when they're doing that. Yeah. No, I think that's... I think no. that's yeah. Yeah, you no, you 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 clarify. I was just gonna see if be, before you went into the extrajudicial reason for why you would read that way. If I was just understanding your position properly, um, and and I and I think you clarified it. It, it is essentially if if I could maybe some. Oh, somebody in the somebody in the, the side DA chat Carson, was saying they liked a, my Calvinist my uh, artistic Megazeus. I created that in response to Tyler Vela, and you'll notice that he's holding up a he you know a Hebrew Holy Bible. Okay, so it's yeah. a it's a meme that you built that mocks the idea that uh, Yahweh is a mega Zeus. Yes, you, you'll see he's got the, the Jewish, uh, you know, curls and the, the the Bible, and yeah, I had I had fun with that. <laughs> Sounds good. Clause is every single person you would say maybe maybe uh, right doctrine wrong text. Uh, so it is true that every yeah. single person is fallen in Adam, but. Paul isn't using it that way in that clause. So even though that's true, we shouldn't read that 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 Paul is making such a strong statement here in that first clause. Yeah. So I love. Yes, exactly. Dan Dan really captured something well in a in a discussion with Leighton Flowers after Dan and I talked at length. He said that I'm a I like I'm a. So look at how much time is being used to talk about a non-issue, just because of the way it's approached. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll kind of jump forward. Maybe there's a follow-on that actually has some substance. All have sinned and, 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 and fall short of the glory of God. So correct. what I and, just and, understand, I, that what I read that to mean is every kind of person has, has, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no I, kind of person I, that has not. 
I, I would agree with that to an extent in this in the sense that we we are talking about Jews and Gentiles here, and I this this comes to that. Con- yeah, they're losing a lot of time talking about this, and so we're going to jump forward again. Can't continue to talk that way. I, I agree. So, so I, 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 just, I don't know how Paul could be more clear. So he says, you know, it's whoever he's speaking to is under the law that every mouth might be stopped, that the whole world might be accountable to God. There's none mm-hmm. righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. I don't know how Paul right. could be more clear. Well, that's fine, Dan. But I think he's being very clear in the way as, as I'm understanding him to be arguing, which is that as proof that every kind of person is sinful and in need of salvation, I will offer an Old Testament text in which every single individual is said to be fallen. If it's true of every individual, then it's logical, then it logically follows that it's true of every kind. But yeah, pushing this point is a waste of time. Uh, you just have to go on. If, if you come into the, one of those situations, you just press on your next question. Yeah. That now, when I start talking about all things that of, the, of which that is true, I must no longer have these distinctions between different kinds of balls in mind. I keep skipping forward. They're, they're, they keep talking about the no, same thing. I don't think we missed much. Um, I mean, th- there was a lot of there was a lot of focus on things that just were uh, like third and fourth tier issues that just really were not at the heart of the the open discussion on Calvinism. It just it just seemed to really just waste a lot of time. Oh, it's got 130 likes. Do people like talking about all these issues? Or is it like uh, people who like Leighton Flowers hit like when Leighton Flowers comes on or something? Like, like I don't know what's generate. I wonder what his watch time is for, for his average viewer. I'm not sure. So I deny. I think it's there's uh, a, there... like Luther here. I stand. I can do no other. And that kind of idea is what we call. And then Vela falls off. He came on to ask those two things and then he falls off. What? Some real hard hitting anti-Calvinist questions right there. Thank you, Tyler. Oh man. Um, How long was he on? Let's see. He starts at around 219 and uh, he's on for like 40 minutes or maybe 30 minutes. And that's all. He gets out those two questions and then disappears. Mm. Wow. That that that's such a waste. Okay, we're gonna rewind. Here's here's Leighton Flowers, and uh, so if Leighton Flowers comes on your program, um, it's gonna feature him quite a lot because people like Leighton Flowers. He he seems to be a heavy hitter, and so he's probably uh, a draw for viewership. And so we'll see what they they do with that. Vacation for your beliefs, absent circular. Oh, here he's actually asking my question. Yeah, that. So, so th- okay, so this is your question. If you were yeah. created unable to rightly understand and accept spiritual truth, TD, how do you have any expo- epistemic justification for your beliefs? Absent circular appeal to regeneration. Now, this what I was, let me clarify yeah. this. I wasn't asking how do you have justification for maintaining a false belief? I meant like, how do you have any epistemic justification to believe what you presently believe is is true there's a little bit of a nuance here so like the example i would give is uh you're a police officer and dispatch you know your dispatch is going to give you a false description of the uh suspect every time because she is naturally incapable of rightly describing the suspect 
And so you're told to go to 7-Eleven and arrest a white guy who's six foot tall wearing a black shirt and red shorts. But you you know she's naturally incapable of giving right descriptions. So why why do I have any justification to believe that there's a suspect at 7-Eleven, let alone a white guy who's six foot tall wearing a black shirt and red shoes, you know, or red shorts? It, 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 we know that that she's not reliable. We know that she is is actually always wrong when it comes to uh, correct descriptions and depictions. Uh, and that's the the entailment of total depravity. Like John MacArthur said, you're pre-programmed to believe lies. Uh, Steve Lawson said, your mind is darkened and cannot know the truth. Uh, Joel Weber said, man's reasoning is destroyed. So if you're unable to rightly understand spiritual truths, it's like you're relying on the dispatch and you're the police officer, but you know dispatch never gets the description right. So right. why do you have any justification for going and arresting the suspect? It, it's interesting. Like uh, historically, when I've debated Calvinists on very various issues, it always comes down to like their last arguments are like, oh, you are unregenerate. So you just don't understand the truth of the scriptures that you're quoting. And so it, you, you're just unable to realize that the point I'm arguing is true because you just don't have a metaphysical on switch that allows you to understand that. Mm. And I think it's funny when the conversation devolves to that point. And so uh, here's an but interesting. What, what, you'll see oh. though, what you'll see is, is, is Colton, when he's trying to answer my question, he says, well, no, we can use any sort of uh, epistemological, you know, we can do internalism, we can do externalism, whatever epistemological device you want that works. Because it'll show you we have reasons to believe what we believe. Well, yeah, okay. The the police officer who arrests the guy at 7-Eleven had a reason to believe it, but he had no reason to trust that reason because he knows it's always wrong. So, yeah, you may have reasons, but are they really truly valid? And he said, well, absent any defeater, then you have a reason to, to believe that. Well, the defeater itself is the doctrine because it says – they're always going to get that description wrong. Yeah, their their model is one in which it it is going to be wrong. And it so it entails it entails a defeater. So, but they did they and again, I wasn't on here to like nuance this out for them. So, you know, I'll give them some credit on this. And and Colton's answer made me really stop and go do some more research on the topic. So, you know, props to Colton. He's he's still wrong, but he made me think and I I value and appreciate him and Yeah, so one problem with people like this idol killer guy asking these types of questions is they're so obtuse that like the answer could go anywhere. Uh, the people answering the question might not understand the premise of the question and yeah, might that I don't care. I talk ask some awful questions. Yeah, and if you're not on there to explain what you mean, it's like it, it, yeah. the question. I've often seen questions go ignored by both sides, even if it's, even if the question is beneficial to one side, because both sides just don't understand the question. That happens. That happens what yeah. tim stratton posits and if anyone knows me i'm a big defender against tim stratton i'm like his biggest fan is what i call myself uh kind of arrogantly but basically uh what the argument is if determinism is true like you couldn't be able to do anything other than affirm your knowledge that you affirm right now how could you have any justification for your belief in x or could you know that x is true or y is true or z is true it's something along those lines and I would just say, okay, pick your favorite flavor of epistemology and that that's your answer. There's nothing in epistemology that necessarily 
entails a specific metaphysic of free will. And to say otherwise is ridiculous. So I can be an internalist and I could say for sure, like I can have direct acquaintance in the same like, like Poe says or the McGrew say, I can have direct acquaintance that God, like I am directly acquainted with that belief, even if God determines me to have the belief. It's no, there's, there's nothing in there about being justified true belief that also another condition is plus indeterminism for you to access that belief. That's no justification, no knowledge or justification theory of knowledge entails indeterminism must be true. So I can still know certain beliefs and still be justified in certain. Yeah, beliefs. and see, Colton, Colton's uh, focusing on like indeterminism, libertarian free will, which is not what the question's about. Yeah, it's the not what the question about. is. And so maybe he just misunderstood what the point of the question is. And, Total and depravity so, says that that dispatcher, that calls that that lady that gives you the description of the suspects, always gives the wrong description because you are well, she's created unable to rightly give a description correctly. Correct. And so it'd be like having a model of the universe that we're all stuck in the matrix and we're all being fed images straight to our brain and saying that is the true model of how we experience reality. But then after that, talking about justified true beliefs about our daily experiences, it's like your model of the universe does not line up with you having any justified true beliefs mm -hmm. of anything you experience ever, whether or not you say that there are there's evidence towards those beliefs. Your model itself is the defeater. Yeah. Your model's incompatibility with incompatible with truth. That's it. That was the point. It's yeah. I can take externalism. I can do phenomenal conservatism if I want. Who is this King James guy? Determinism. Who is this King James guy talking about? Is he talking about you uh, and me or what? Uh, I don't know. He, he says, uh, um, "Is Calvinism another brand of open theism?" Well, uh, Calvinists often say that open theism is consistent Arminianism. And I would agree there. And uh, so, but open theism is not Calvinism. Calvinism is based on Neoplatonic conceptions of God that were integrated into the church in the first three centuries AD, uh, holding to metaphysical realities as described by Plato. And open theism tends to, not all open theists, hashtag not all open theists, tends to go back to Semitic understandings of reality how God lives, how God operates, God as a person, God as interacting, God as relational, God with emotions, as the Bible describes. And so I would say it's metaphysically separate, its own category, distinct from Calvinism. Arminianism shares a lot of the same metaphysics with the Calvinists, uh, ironically. And so uh, open theism is just consistent Arminianism. I wonder, since he's uh, King James only, if he's using uh, that descriptive of Leighton, perhaps in the King James terminology, like what Mary wrote into uh, Bethlehem on or uh, Balaam uh, was saved by. For, for I wonder if that's the terminology that he's using, you know, like. Right. Yeah. And I, don't, so, I don't think he's trying to curse or anything. I think he's actually referring to a mule. Leighton is, has, is intelligent enough to have converted a lot of Calvinists away from Calvinism. And so if you think he makes bad arguments or not, you have to contend with the fact that Calvinists hate him because he is a wrecking ball against their system of belief. He's very effective and he's, he's consistently kind. He's consistently cordial. Um, you know, you know, you may say, well, I don't like his argumentation. 
Um, you know, some of his arguments are stronger than others. I think that's I think that's fair. I think he would admit to that. But he he does he does tremendous damage against Calvinism. And the question he always brings up is, well, if determinism is true, I'm doing the perfect will of God. So take it up with him, you know, and then, then you're going to see more of Balaam's donkey type comments coming his way from the Calvinists because they get, they get really upset. That one of the questions I was going to ask at the comments, I didn't do it. I was like, is Lizzo's weight optimal for God's glory? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> that, oh no. That would have been, that might've uh, cut a little too close to, to some of these uh, participants. Uh, total depravity. And I will just add that, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say the the issue is not belief, but justified belief. Um, you don't have any, yeah, any Layton, basis Layton's upon which to justify what you believe, and, and he doesn't believe in terms stuff too much. They'll have he three was. hour programs that are very simple and easy to understand. So no matter who's tuning in, they get it. Right. Knowledge requires indeterminism. What theory of knowledge requires determinism? I'm not sure that. Right. Well, I would say. If you have to have a justified belief, I would say all of them. Really? Uh, uh, so the traditional, when, you, when you're talking about uh, what the definition of knowledge is, traditionally it's defined as justified true belief, or there's, there's some qualifications that are added often. But true belief is one of those qualifications. And so for God to have justified true beliefs about the future, if that's, uh, Calvinists are not going to say that God has beliefs. And if they're actually using traditional definitions of omniscience, it's an innate knowledge. It's a knowledge that's not dependent on anything. It's it's one that is ungenerated and uh, co-equal with God. It, it doesn't arise from anything. It's like a simple, simple, non non-discursive, uh, non-complex. I call it. I call it the divine encyclopedia. Except for can... encyclopedias have different passages. God's yeah. knowledge is not like that in classical omniscience. It's it's all one whole. It's one, yeah. It, it's it's not different pages. It's not different letters. Uh, so it's not a perfect analogy, but it contains all information simultaneously. Right, and so uh, in in the classical model of God's omniscience, He doesn't have our description of a justified true belief. He doesn't have beliefs. God does not have beliefs in classical omniscience. He just has. Uh, knowledge that lines up perfectly with the truth. And so in that type of model, the truth has to exist for his knowledge to line up with, regardless of whether or not God exists, or regardless of whether or not God's omniscience exists. Prior to that, all events have to be fatalistically determined in some, in some capacity. And so uh, I think it was before we came on, you were talking about how Braxton Hunter was denying logical steps within, within logical God. moments, logical, logical moments, moments. In, in the divine mind. Mm -hmm. And uh, the problem there is that how they try to get around this God having an aspect of himself dependent on creation is making God's knowledge a stage lower than God determining how the world is going to come about. And these are logical moments and not sequential moments because they can't have God sequentially gaining knowledge. Because if God decided to create and then created, then God has just gained knowledge of what he would create. God went from a state of indeterminist, uh, indeterministic knowledge to a state of 
factual, true, direct access to those truth events, that's a change within God, which they can't have. God has to be static, unchanging, simple, and he can't gain knowledge. That would, if God gained knowledge, then traditional omniscience, classical omniscience is false. Right. So that I think that's why the the logical moments always fail because they are, you can have, you can have the alphabet as a logical moment. A is not incompatible with B, is not incompatible with C, is not incompatible with Z. And there is sequence that exists simultaneously known as the alphabet, right? So that would be a logical moment. But within the divine mind and the divine decree, we're told that there's a logical moment where God does not know what world he'll freely create, a logical moment where he determines what world to freely create, and a logical moment where he knows what world he's he's chosen. But so you have these logical moments of him not knowing and knowing simultaneously eternally, and that's incompatible. That is a flat out contradiction. So, you know, most I brought Ryan Mullins on and he was talking about how many classical theists will eventually concede the point that logical moments are just a useless fiction. So what, why are we even appealing to those? So let's just go ahead and all agree. Logical moments are trash. Get those off the table. So what you then have they won't have are, anything. There goes Molinism. There goes Calvinism. There goes classical Arminianism. But, but it's, it's Braxton, all dead. Is a, Braxton is a Molinist. And I do believe he said he rejected logical moments. So what they would have is God, uh, like a, sim a divine simplicity, uh, all knowledge, all omniscience. Um, and I, my criticism of this view is the ethereal fate machine, that it is basically a world engine that just serves as a utility for explanatory power, but is not necessarily logically consistent or, or uh, free of contradiction. But I think that what we hold to is a living, thinking, intelligent, brilliant, powerful God who is relational and it's based on a presentist ontology of time. That is the Hebraic depictions of God by God in Scripture. Um, right. Like, the, why did God destroy the world? Molinists say, well, because that maximizes uh, the utility of all possible created worlds. The Calvinists will say, because the created world needs to maximize God's glory, and that's the route of maximizing God's glory. The open theist says, uh, because he was sad about the state of mankind, and sorry, he made man. That's that's why he did it. And that's what it says in, in yeah, in Genesis six. Yeah, that's like, what it says in the text. And that's, so that's what it, that's what it says. That's what we're gonna go with. That's why all the debate. You're a heretic. You believe what the oh, Bible funny. says? Oh, oh, you're a heretic. You believe what the Bible says? All these we debates. We just... to these Greek philosophers. <laughs> it's just so funny. They're like, oh. Uh, yeah, you can read the text and the text tells you the reason. It's like, we don't have to go out and guess. Yeah. And then they have to argue that like the authors like had some sort of secret esoteric knowledge, like but they didn't disclose th that they didn't tell anyone about yeah. that. It's like, Oh, these authors knew that people were stupid. And so then they wrote just absolute lies that you should be contempt condemned for believing like what? Th how is this a model of how the Bible was written? I don't know. And how, how would you ever have any assurance that you're understanding it correctly if what was written isn't true? Listen, Warren, you need the Gnostic enlightening, and you'll just understand the truth of the text. Gotta I, 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 I got to do that in post with green screen, with the little light and the, the noises. Uh, I, I, did a, I did a live stream. Uh, which uh, I had at Gnostic Enlightening. I don't know if you ever saw that one where I was just like, yeah, oh. I think I may have been with you. I think I may have been on that one. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's happening. It's happening. I get it. I'm Gnostic Enlightening. Oh, wow. I'm being revealed. I, the secrets wow. of the universe. I'm, I'm downloading them. Yeah. It's like, wow, this text is a whole new light to me. It's just 
wow, I didn't mean anything like that. It, oh, wow. But uh, that's pretty funny. What epistemologist yeah, says that? I don't think they have to say it. I think it's it's sort of an underlying <laughs> assumption that if you if you're gonna you're gonna use the term no justified, evidence. you have to have the base of, basis upon which to justify. You, you shouldn't even have to say it. Why do you have to say that justified belief requires exactly. the ability to actually have a basis for the justification? I mean, that's that's what we talk about. We don't have to say because it because. It, like, oh no, 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 that's not what Colton said. Col Colton didn't say <laughs> that the epistemologies don't require a basis of justification. Yeah, what what are they doing here? Who's Basically, the audience? Colton is saying you can have a you can have justified reasons for false beliefs. Well, you you can, and that's why uh, epistemology is such a contentious field because just even the definition of knowledge. I took a whole class on it, and so my my philosophy professor in college, he is one of the types that if you did not regurgitate exactly what the book said, if you had any novel new ideas about. Uh, the definition of knowledge, you, you'd fail his class. You just had to regurgitate all the different people's talking points about what they believed was justified, true belief, or or whatnot, what the definition of knowledge is. They they don't have, in reality, because, because of the way things work, they don't have an actual definition for what knowledge actually means. And so you'll find in these books, epistemology books, all these counterexamples about whether or not a belief is justified or true. Like, let's say you have a broken watch that's on your hand and uh, someone asks you the time, you look at it and your watch says 12. And so then you tell them it's 12. You think the watch is not broken. So it's it's a justified belief because you looked at your watch and your watch told you it's 12 o'clock. And so, and then you believe this 12 o'clock and it just so happens that it is 12 o'clock. So not only do you got your justification, you have the truth value of it being true, but is that knowledge? And most people would say, no, that's not knowledge because you're just accidentally correct. Your justification wasn't good enough. And there's all sorts of uh, counter facts that were not taken into consideration. So even the definition of knowledge is a contentious field of argument. And that that's that's how reality it works. Gets, it gets worse, Chris, when somebody comes along and says, hey, your watch is broken. And you're like, yeah, but I have this justified true belief. No, no, no. We've presented you the defeater now. We've presented you the defeater. The defeater was the thing you were relying on, the mechanism you were relying on to ascertain truth. That has been revealed to be broken, like your ability to discern spiritual truths. Like we've pointed out the defeater. Yeah, it's that, there. You can't point to that anymore and say you're still justified. We've we've demonstrated the defeater. Yeah, it's like you believe your watch is broken. Yep. But you believe that your your knowledge of what time it is is justified because your watch told you. Yep. It's it's like that. Patrick uh, meme, you know, mm -hmm. the SpongeBob one where where he leads them through all the steps, and then at the very last, instead of getting to the logical conclusion, he denies it. That's that's what's going on here. Their model is one in which they cannot be assured they have any access to truth. Yeah. I'm reminded of the C.S. Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis had a defeater for atheism, talking about if atheism is true, then all the thoughts in my head are just the byproduct of chemical reactions that uh, in ultimate reality have that they're they've just arisen through natural consequences I, in, in these cases i don't actually have any good reason to trust my own thoughts and so if atheism is true i i shouldn't believe in atheism because there there's no reason to believe that my own thoughts are accurate we think therefore there is a god therefore theism is true because we can trust we can understand our own thoughts
And so uh, I, I do have the quote. I kind of butchered it a little bit, but the the feeling's still the, there. The point, the point main, the, the point remains. What he said is that no epistemology, no school of epistemology, identifies the, uh, one of those bases for justification as libertarian freedom. I'm not saying libertarian so, freedom. I'm just saying indeterminism or indeterminism. Sorry, indeterminism. You know, if uh, you uh, condensed Chris Dates's screen horizontally, like like compacted a little bit, he'd kind of look like you right now with the glasses. Yeah, we do have we do have a similar style. Right, you just have gray to, in the beard. We got the glasses, the hair. To, We're both incredibly good looking. You just have to squeeze it in, just like this, a little bit. I'm not, I'm not saying that determinism. Well, what I'm saying is that determinism has no basis for justification, because the justification but, comes from the same source as the belief. That's, but that's just a claim you're making. And what Colton is saying is that that's right. not a claim that any well-known epistemologists defend or or make. Okay, then what's the under de under determinism? What is the justification for what you believe, apart from God causing you? And poor Leighton, he's probably got better things to do. It's like I don't, I really don't feel like this discussion currently is changing any minds or no. clarifying anything or teaching anything to anyone new. Now, I think I think we could have checked out and come back in 30 minutes later and we would still be in the same mindset that we were previously. Yeah, it doesn't look like uh, the screen changes. They keep talking about your question. Oh, where does it start? It starts at about 27. And they have it on the screen. Till 43. Yeah, so yeah, a good 20 minutes or so. Uh, less than, but, um, <laughs> and that was only one of the questions. Oh man. I had five of them. I was really hoping they were going to ask all five. Cause I was thinking this was going to be kind of like rapid fire where they come in and they're like, Hey, here's a question. What's a quick answer. Here's a question. What's a quick answer. And instead it was like, we're going to get into epistemology and you know, whether or not God authored JK Rowling's book, and it was just, <laughs> it was not what I was expecting. Adam says, that's why Kevin Thompson left. He said in the chat, he's bored out of his mind. Oh, I, I don't blame him. Oh, man. Okay, so when we have our discussion with Calvinists, we can't be boring. That's... I don't think we have to worry about that, Chris. Yeah, okay. I don't think that... we have to worry about that. I think, I think, I think we're both funny and charming, and I think you're more than controversial for the both of us. So <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think we'll be fine. I think we both show up. You've got your uh, Jim Beam or whatever it is, and I'll have my whistle pig. And yeah, that that probably wouldn't go over very well. No, it, it probably <laughs> wouldn't. Well, but I, I think I think I think uh, we'll keep it we'll keep it in, engaging and entertaining. Did you ever see that? Uh, I went on uh, uh, one channel once, and I was drinking uh, um, Jim Beam the whole time. And after I left, the whole the whole screen, everyone that was pulled on and talking. They all went in this huge rant against me. They're just like, what is he doing? Oh, is this the worst thing in the world? It is the funniest thing ever. Yeah, no, you know, I mean, we don't need to turn this into a defense of the, the Bible's recommendation and encouragement of drinking without drunkenness. Right. Um, but but uh, I think anybody who studied the Bible knows that that's a, a laughable position. Welch's grape juice was uh, <laughs> not invented back then. I'm sorry. The preservation <laughs> method to keep uh, alcohol out of the wine. 
Yeah, well, I'm bringing my kids through Hosea, right? And one of the passages is about how wine and new wine both dull the senses. And like the anti-drinking arguments always like, oh, new wine is different than uh, wine. The new wine was non-alcoholic. It was grape juice, freshly squeezed. And Hosea's like, it dulls the senses. And so it's all that sugar, it's all that sugar, man. Sugar, senses. yeah, it gets you real hyper. Sugar's okay. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. That's like my really dad, funny. I remember my dad coming in and I was talking to him about alcohol when I was, when I was young. And he's like, do you think alcohol is a sin? I said, I think so, dad. He goes, do you ever use mouthwash? And I said, yeah. He goes, there's alcohol in there. And I go, okay. And he goes, did you spit it all out? Or did a little bit of it go down the back of your throat? And I go, well, I'm sure probably some did. And he goes, you sinned, didn't you? And I was like, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. And he really challenged me and got me thinking, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing now. When got my Bible out, started studying it. And he's like, yeah, I just wanted you to think for yourself instead of just going off of what the, uh, you know, the culture at the church was saying. Yeah. You know, whatever. He, he did me a solid that. there. Yeah. It's good. I remember my dad, when I asked him, it's like, what's the scriptural evidence that God is omnipresent? And he goes down and he gets a book before systematic theology and he turns to the omnipresent stuff and hands it to me. And I read it I'm like, what kind of, what is this? This is not, this is like people are quoting songs that people wrote as evidence and, and out of context proof text. I'm like, what is going on here? And so it's, it's good as a father to let your kids come to their own conclusions by just illustrating the bankruptcy of, the intellectual culture, we'll say. But yeah. um, we'll probably have to cut there. We're about one thirty. I don't think this is going anywhere. It doesn't. Just, it really doesn't. If someone wants to timestamp me all the rants that Chris Date goes on, I'll probably watch those. The Vela portion was a bust. I don't know. It just, it doesn't. I want to know why God right. determined this to be so dull and unconvincing. Listen, God determines a lot of dull things. <laughs> like, have you ever watched the Friends uh, series? Like, uh, that used to be a show that was on TV. Oh, with like Ross and Rachel and yeah, yeah, yeah. The entire series is dull. Yeah, you remove the laugh track. You, you remove the laugh track and it's just like, it's a little creepy. And you're like, oh, what is this? Uh, people, what? Why? Why is this? But, Yeah. Alrighty, I'll let you go. Uh, we had fun tonight. Uh, we had a good time drinking. I better go drive around town now. Uh, see what's up. See what's happening. See, see see where the happening spots are. I don't know. But uh, no, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna play some Starfield tonight. I'm gonna watch some TV. You can't do that after drinking alcohol. I'm gonna fly a spaceship. You, you're gonna go drive a family minivan around. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm gonna hit the grav drive, man. I'm I'm going crazy. I'm gonna take some whole solar systems out with me. Listen, now that my boys have their learner's permit, I could like make them drive me to places and just drink all I want and just yeah, make them wait in your the DD. car. They're your DD. Yeah. There you go. And then I'm I'm the person in the car uh, chaperoning them for their, their learner's permit on the way home. Kids, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Horrible, horrible, horrible advice. That's These are great ideas. Huh? Great ideas. Uh, you heard it here. Words of wisdom. Real men, men of genius. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for coming on and talking about this stuff. Uh, sorry we weren't more entertaining. I don't know. But uh, we will have fun December 16th, 
19th, 16th? I think it's 16th. 16th. Yeah, 16th. Just a few days before my uh, 21st birthday. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll be good. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting old. And so, yeah, don't remind me. Yeah, oh, no. December. I'm a December baby, man. So I'm going to come in. I'm going to defend dynamic omniscience. I'm going to uh, hopefully present a, you know, an, an engaging and fun defense of it with you. And then a few days later, I'll be celebrating my birthday and Christmas and then my son's birthday. So it's a good holiday season. Right. All my girls are born in April. And so that's like where like the financial hit it happens. It's like you're buying all these presents all the time. My triplets are April babies. Oh, there you go. Yep. It's got it. That's well, you only do you buy only one cake? Yeah, we, we buy one cake, but I have to buy like, you know, uh three three distinct sets of gifts, you know, for each of them. I don't want right, but I don't, you're I don't saying, come in and go, here's the horse, you get to ride it today, you get to ride it tomorrow. You know, like I have to But but in the long run, you would have been buying multiple cakes, so you're saving on cakes. I am you're better on cakes you're better them. off yeah. with the triplets. Yep. The triplets are saving you money. On cakes. On cakes. On cakes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming again, and uh, we'll end there. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Take care.